and we are live. Okay, I have my favorite bell. I use. Hi, people. <laughs> Welcome to Life Matters with Anodidere. I am super, super, super excited today because uh, my guest is one person that I have always, and I was just telling her a couple of minutes ago that from the first day I saw her, I'm like, I have to have her on the show. And I was like, dreams really come true. <laughs> I'm so excited to have her on the show. Um, so today I have Dr. Florence Kemi Akindele. Um, she is a medical doctor. Um, she is an amazing woman of God, an author, a mentor to a lot of people. And one thing I will tell you, she loves to pray. So if you're close to her, you will know she loves to pray. So right now, what I will tell you to do is go share, share on your Facebook, share on your YouTube, share the link with your friends. Make sure that if you have any questions, um, please send them in the comment section. And if you don't want us to like know your name when sending the questions, there's a link in our bio where you can send your questions anonymously. So we don't have to see your name. We just have to get right into the question instead of mentioning your name. Um, so today we're going to be talking about women take care of your health. And as, as random as that topic might look like to you, it is very important for every woman out there, whether you are young or whether you're old, it is important that you take care of your health. Health is wealth. But before I go into the topic, welcome, ma. Has your day been? Has your week been? Um, let me see. The, the first question that I always ask all my guests is, when you have a Saturday like this, where the weather is 21 degrees, uh, what do you do to unwind apart from work? Uh, play with my grandkids. Outside, you know, set up the swimming pool and just be there outside with them or go for a walk with them. Or if it's too hot outside, then we come in and just make a mess inside the house. <laughs> That, that's amazing. And, and I know that a lot of people feel like, um, how do you juggle everything? You write books, you go and speak in places, you're still a doctor, you have your own clinic. How do you juggle everything? I learned what I call the enforced rhythm of grace. I used to do too much of everything before. And then I started complaining to God and he told me, well, you are the one that gave yourself 48 hours job in 24 hours. So you would have to sort it out. So then I learned to prioritize and then um, just say no to certain things. So I kind of focus on what's most important part-time. And when the grandchildren start co started coming in also, I, you know, I had to learn to make room for them uh, as part of life. So I've learned. I think it's a journey. And, and in different stages of life, there will be different priorities. So... And so it's ongoing, it's, it's, you know, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So I've learned to make it seasonal. Okay, so what do I do in this season of my life? What's most important um, in the week? How many days a week? I used to do calls every day before. <laughs> I've stopped all that now, totally. Uh, I do clinic just half of the week. Uh, and then the other half, I focus more on writing, on ministry, on talk, speaking and all that. So I've, I've divided my week into two. Now I'm thinking of dividing it into three, actually. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's ongoing. <laughs> it's a learning process. 
Wow. And and I like how you said sometimes, um, I, okay, so before I even make that comment, this was a question that came up last week with a friend of mine when we were talking. And this person said, I don't know how to say no. Like when people give me stuff, I'm like, okay, you know what, I'll help you. You know what, I'll help you. And a lot of people actually struggle with learning to either say, oh, I'm not available or no, it's not, it's not, um, it's not uh, what they call it convenient for me. So how did you learn to say no to certain things when they were not convenient for you? I learned the hard way. I got burnt out. I honestly was ill and I, you know, just the kind of person I am. I, I never imagined I, I would ever admit that it's, it's possible for a Christian to have depression. And, you know, I came from that background where it's like, oh, it's because you didn't sing in the morning and keep the devil out of your room. Um, so I walked my body to that point where, yes, I crashed and it wasn't funny because I couldn't get on my feet for solid two years. I was just dragging it through. Yeah. So I learned the other way. So after that, yes, I, I rearranged and, and, you know, God told me you, uh, you know, sometimes you complain and say, oh God, I'm going to drop down dead. Why, why do I have to? And then, you know, what came to my heart is you are not Jesus that died for the whole world. One person that died is enough. You, we don't need your own death. You don't need to be a Messiah. Just do what God asks you to do per day. So I've learned the one day at a time kind of thing. Plus, you know, so you can only do so much in 24 hours. So I've learned to break that down. So in 24 hours, I, I only, and, I, and I enjoy it. I the other thing I work with is life is a journey. Enjoy the ride. I cannot work and be sweating at work and not enjoying work. So I made my workplace enjoyable. I surrounded my, myself with people. My team at work, they are amazing. You wouldn't even believe it. And um, there are people who, if I, if I just appear in the clinic, they'll be like, something is going through your mind. I'm not talking of um african descent people i'm talking of caucasian people that we work together and they would they would offer to go get me subway or coffee or tea or whatever you know something is broken and one of my <laughs> one of my nurses she's she's such a dear friend she goes bring her husband to fix it uh that's how personal we go so yeah so now i've learned to enjoy life while working, while playing, while changing, you know, I think it's a learning process, like I said. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. th thank you very much, my fans. And like you said, a lot of, I would say a lot of Christians have that or used to have that mindset. I think we are already changing our mindsets. <laughs> our minds are being renewed right now. Yeah. So yeah. that there's some, th there's some things that you just have to say no to. There's sometimes you actually just have to think about, okay, what's going on with me first. And, yeah. and yeah. this, this was the, what's kind of, I was thinking about a topic. I didn't want to, I didn't want a very technical topic to have a conversation with you because I felt like, I think she's seen a lot of technical stuff all week. <laughs> so let's let's break it down to the basics. Um, yeah. A lot of women get burnt out being a woman in itself, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. being a wife, a daughter, a mother, a sister, and I I see that struggle every day. And I don't I don't want to first get to the conversation of the that being an helpmate. The first, the first, let me use the first 10 years of marriage for you. 
were you stressed? Because I know you were actively working um, in the hospital, but how were you able to work around that? Because as a woman, I know that you take up a lot of things and yeah. being a, a medical doctor full-time, I know that that's another, <laughs> that's another full-time work for you. So how were you able to juggle it to get to that space of, you know what, it's, it's first me, if I take care of myself, then I can take care of everybody. And I think that's what people don't know that taking care of themselves first is not selfish. So how are you able to do it in the first 10 years? So the first 10 years was really stressful, but I guess I was younger. So in a way, how you push your body and what you do with that body at that time, um, not too, too bad. I had my first two girls in the first 10 years. I was, we were pastoring a church, like pastoral, pastor's wife, all the all nights and the choir meetings and, you know, everything. And that was a period where God started teaching me that if you don't take care of yourself, you will only have yourself to blame, you know, because I, I, I speak, I, I, I have conversations with God. Let me put it that way. I could sit in front of the mirror and I'm like, okay, I'm stressed. What am I supposed to do with all this? I, I, I'm, I'm the only one and, and this and that and that. And, and, you know, many times God would just minister to me and tell me, no, you don't have to do this, 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 that. So uh, the first 10 years was when I learned to avoid certain people. If I know I don't want to, uh, if I have, you know, a deadline on my table, there are some phone calls. Anyway, that, that was the time we didn't have cell phones. So that was great. But even at that, <laughs> if I'm walking on the corridor where I was doing my residency and I saw somebody who could delay me for one hour, who I know genuinely, I can't help. For instance, I was doing my residency in obstetrics and gynae. was a woman thing. But because I'm pastor's wife, I'm, I'm, I'm a doctor, anyone who came into UCH then from our church, because it was a big church with many branches, um, they, they would want to pass through me. So medicine, surgery, their grandfather, their whatever, every story of everybody. And I felt obliged. I'm like, ah, oh, no, I need to be answering everybody. So yes, I had to learn to avoid those kind of conversations, except when I know I can help. So if they say, oh, somebody's in labor, yes, yes, bring that person, come, come, come. I would, you know, I can talk to one of my colleagues to handle this. So the ones that I know specifically I can help, I take them on. Uh, one funny story, we were still pastoring then and, and a woman in our church had a baby in a private hospital, not my hospital. And then my husband called me and said, after service, I said, the woman is bleeding at home. I said, yes, go, tell them to go straight to the hospital. And he said, won't we go and see her at home? What am I going to do for a woman that is bleeding at home? I mean, this is, I don't have a, I don't have any, I don't have, I didn't have gloves. I don't have anything. The most pressing need for that woman is to be in hospital. I could go meet her in hospital, but not home. You know, so I have to explain those kind of things. And by and large, people around me also know that I tend to pick on what I can, where I can really be helpful. And I will let the others go. But th that doesn't, that does not come without um, some people feeling that you are. That was what I wanted to talk about because people be like, she's not nice. She's not this. She's not that. You but... know, I, I, I just say, um, uh, I, I had to learn too that um, some people will stand up for me where others are saying she's not nice. They'll be like, no, it's not the same person you're talking about because I, I do the beats I should, I, I could, 
for, for them. Plus, I've learned also to know that if you want to please man, you're going to be dead. Uh, because, and, and it's not man's fault. It's not, it's not people's fault. It's whichever background you're coming from is how they will judge you. So that's why God is the best judge. So I let him judge. So there are times I'm like, ah, well, Lord, we're under, God will handle that one. I'm not even going, going to go and defend myself. So that's how it's been. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that um, a lot of people have to listen to that and just don't, I, I will use the word don't care about what people say and just take care of you first. And, and it's important, like you said, um, at that point, yes, they needed your moral support, but in somebody, that particular moment, somebody nobody it while I, I focus on what only I could do. And, and, and yes. that's, that's how I handle my family too. Um, sometimes I'll be like, okay, I will give time to my family because they, they don't have two mothers. Um, but there are many doctors out there and there are many pastor's wives and there are many spiritual people. And I believe that God so cares for everybody that he would have sent somebody to them you know so they are not left alone I, i've learned to tell people to pray and just believe god to be their help rather than you think because i'm a doctor I'm, and i'm your aunt i also have to be there i'm auntie to about i don't know how many people now really so yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and that's very important. So today I was I was listening to this conversation on Clubhouse, and it's an application where people connect from different walks of life and have conversations. So it's like the podcast of LinkedIn, if okay. we, we put it that way. So this this room I entered into, they were all doctors, and they were talking about periods. And fortunately, I was just listening in, and I was learning a lot because. So when people call me or ask me, oh, so what drug do you use when you have period cramps? I'm like, okay, this is not a bad thing, but I actually don't. <laughs> and it, 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 I always try not to say it that way, but I was, I'm just always being sincere about it. And I know a lot of women that have that, um, that go through a lot of pain during their periods. And some of them are not able to explain to their partners that, oh, this is what's going on with me because most of them will just still in that pain, pick themselves up. So what causes all those pains most times? And for those that bleed really heavy, what do, do they have to do? Because for them, they feel like, oh, it's normal for me. I, I, I bleed for seven days and I use like three packs of, I know someone that, that says she used three packs of pads during a one week period. And I'm like, have you gone to the doctor? Oh, my doctor said everything is fine. It's normal. And some will say, so different people with different, um, objective diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So for, for you, when you meet a lady that is probably having so much period cramps or can't even stand up during a period or whatnot, what would you tell her right now that she's listening? I know this is not a, this is not a consult people. It's not a consult, but what would you tell her if she was right in front of you? So I will tell her that um, a lot of women suffer from this, but there can be various causes. So we don't treat without taking a history and examining and doing some investigations to find out what exactly is causing that. Um, there's what we call primary dysmenorrhea, which means we don't find anything. And that's more common amongst women who've never had babies. So immediately a woman or a young girl who just started a period it's talking more of cramps and stuff. The first assumption is this is primary dysmenorrhea, that you, you are not likely to find anything wrong. 
um, that you can touch or see on ultrasound. Um, and then it's most purely hormonal, genetic, uh, uh, or idiopathic. That's, we don't know. We don't know why this person, but so what we do is we treat the symptoms. Um, whereas with secondary dysmenorrhea, there are various things that can cause that. And so we want to, so for somebody who's had a baby before, for instance, uh, that kind of brings the picture of this most likely will be secondary. And so you're going to take history and all that and all that. So right in front of you, uh, I've, I've learned not to do the, you know, first instance approach. Oh, go take Advil. It's Advil that is the best. That would not speak well of me because I'm trained to go to the roots of problems. Um, but if two people are speaking, they could say, oh, it's my doll, it's Advil, it's uh, tranexamic acid, it's whatever my doctor gave me. Uh, and, but we, we prescribe these things based on what we find or don't find. Thank, thank you very much, Ma. But so somebody who is running through three parts that, you know, and has seen the doctor and the doctor says everything is fine, I'm assuming the person has gone through all the investigations and nothing was found that could be corrected. And so they manage the symptoms. So um, to, to my next question will be about um, delivery. And I, and, I, and I have this conversation with my friends and like, they don't tell you everything about motherhood. They don't tell you, oh, you have this, oh, you will have that, oh, you will. And I know that everybody's situation is very different, but in taking care of one's health as a woman, so now I feel like, do we need more education? Should if amongst Africa, and I was and I was having this conversation with my husband that I was hearing people call um speak in that room and share, oh, this is what they're going through. This is um, I think a lady said that she every time she had sex with her husband, she would always bleed. Um, for someone else, it was like, oh, she had fibroid and they've been trying so hard to get rid of one and they'll find another, and and I'm like. I, I can't remember when last I sat down with a folk of African women and they're able to share things like that. Why do we have that issue? I would say amongst us. All right. So I think it's a cultural thing. Everything that we do, you would not believe how much of what you took in when you were seven, eight, nine, that shapes your even um, judgment of events you know so culturally we are taught not to talk about it if you wanted to say anything about um you have to call your your vagina in a way that it's, it's a private thing or you can't say it you can't talk about sex you can't you know so it, it's it's again it will be a learning process to get to that point where you can be in the midst of people and talk about this and i'm passionate about this this is why I, and I, I will let you, I will let you into this. The first time I was asked to talk about sex uh, was to a group of men. I was invited as a woman and I was going to be the only woman in that room. And the person that I, they had invited my husband was, of course, but I'm like, no, you must be joking. I'm not going to do this. And uh, the person said, no, I just believe God wants you to do this. So you, you have to come and do it. And I'm like, in a men's conference, I mean, this was not even a family conference. It was men. I was the only woman. Uh, and I'm like, no, this is not going to happen. And I, 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 I remember sharing with one of my prayer partners, a very good friend of mine. And I said, 
I am not going to go. I mean, if this, if this was Bible teaching, yes. But to start bringing the science part of me into church, I'm not doing this. And she said, but if you don't, who will? I mean, like, who will? You've dealt with a lot of women. You can, you can actually let people know what women go through, uh, just knowing them that much. And you have the language. You have the, and you're a teacher. Go ahead and do it. And honestly, that opened a new door for me because it was after that I began to look into issues around what other people may not even be comfortable talking about that I have to. Not because, because I look at it, it was God that allowed me to be trained as an obstetrician gynecologist. He allowed me to, you know, all that. And so if I'm not talking, I'm asking myself, who is talking? So if nobody's talking, I better start talking because <laughs> a lot of people need help, right? Yeah. So I think so, so, it's cultural. So we're going to get out of it. By the time, I mean, I'm trying to bring things from the perspective of the African woman, um, from the perspective of being a woman at all, um, from my training. I also have a master's degree in public health. So the prom health promotion versus health education allowing you know teamwork and all that it all i believe is just um opportunities that god gave me so that i'll be more useful <laughs> in his hands to do whatever it is he wants me to do yeah so let me let me jump in just to digress a bit from the topic um yeah. not even not not totally though so what birth florence clinic because i know that for a lot of people They'll be wondering, oh, what, why did you want to do something like this in during COVID? Wouldn't it be too stressful for you? How does how how, how is this gonna help anything? So why did you start the clinic in itself? Okay. So I started actually Florence Women's Clinic started out of St. Paul Women's Clinic. So started off of my ops and gyne practice in, in St. Paul in 2010. Uh, long story, I, I had to go solo because I came in with the dimension like I've spoken about. I came in with a public health perspective and I wanted to do these things that just didn't fit in a box. So I had to be solo. Then I went on, delivered a lot of babies, asked questions. I got more passionate about the fact that there were so many gaps in the health system. In as much as there were resources and all that, there were a lot of gaps in the health system. And uh, finally, uh, at the point I said I broke down, I got burnt out, I closed St. Paul Women's Clinic, which was my solo clinic, and, what, and I worked with Lakeland Women's Clinic for two years. That got closed again, and so I decided, you know what, if I have my own clinic, I'll be able to then go outside of the box. So yes, Florence Women's Clinic then started in St. Paul. Now, what you are talking about now is the Florence um women's home services more or less that part of it came in because i saw again the you know the difference between being able to do prenatal care in a home and, and i've tried this with one or two people where you can sit down and talk and exactly the same standards that alberta health services will require in the clinic i could give it at home with the more with more um you know leeway for the woman to be able to express herself and enjoy the comfort of her home, not having to look for babysitter or whatever. So when I tested that out with one or two people and I found it really worked, 
and at the end of the day they had babies i could i could actually come up to say uh this was an experiment and it worked uh then i decided okay i'll go out and say i can take a few women like that who i will come home to so i of course this won't be me doing it for the whole world it's it's, it's kind of like i'm targeting no more than 10 at a time um uh, and as part of what i do so that's not the only thing i do but i'm putting that in as part of what i do so that's what yeah. the, I, I i i could tell you so many stories of women who've gone through stuff during delivery particularly women of color of course people immigrants uh but also caucasian in the rural setting where there's not a lot of options I, i've seen the whole gamut of First Nations people, you know, all the, the, the variety of women who come for care have things they're dealing with that could limit their access to what they deserve. And also uh, the outcome of their deliveries could be less than what could have happened if they knew better. Prenatal classes, I believe a lot of people think prenatal classes are for, you know, I used to think that. Back home in Nigeria, they will use songs, they will change, you know, make women do exercise. I used to laugh at them. What's, what are they doing? And then you come to a place where none of that is happening and you see the, the wide gap in knowledge. Like people just are thrown out. They have to go on the internet searching for what might work, which might not yes. even work in their own locality, right? So yeah, th that's what really got me going. I thought I was going to write a book initially, and I'm, I'm still going to write the book. It's going to be about women's health and you know the perspective from the African perspective right on here, and how still none of these these systems are really meeting the needs of women. So what what system can? Because I like you said, for me, I I got pregnant and gave birth during the COVID. Well, I think we're still we're still in the COVID season. And a lot of things they were asking me, I had to rack up my knowledge from what I watched on YouTube. I think I had this doula that she was so amazing and she would say, oh, try this, do this. But I noticed that when I got to the hospital, it was like, they were asking me certain questions that I'm like, well, she didn't tell me this on the internet or she didn't do this. And I, I saw that, like you said, still, we haven't found a system that will match up to each peculiar need. Um, when do you think we can get there? Because, and, and sometimes I ask myself, we don't have so many doctors that are OBGYNs that are, that are that very, very about it. Yes. We were, yeah, yeah, I, so I get you totally. When will we get there? Like in, in this kind of system, you know, I, that's a difficult question to answer because I don't know when we will get there, but we can take the first step, <laughs> one step after the other. And that's why for me, um, I'm trying to not take over the problem of the whole world, but I'm trying to put perspective to it. I'm trying to say there's a problem here. And, um, the, you know, a lot of things are going on right now. We're talking about equity in medicine. We're talking about diversity. We're talking about inclusion. Those are languages that are now recently being used with all what's going on politically. There's so much more attention to those things. So for me, that's my whole new world. I'm trying to get into that world of talking about, have you looked at things from this perspective too? Because it's been, um, you know, when you talk of equity, you're talking of, you, you, you are understanding that some people started out advanced uh, while some are lagging behind. 
And so when you are distributing resources, you have to take into cognizance the fact that some people were left behind to start with, or they were disadvantaged. And women happen to be that. <laughs> I, I recently chatted with a friend, and we're going to be going online soon too. And uh, she is, um, you know, we partnered because teamwork is best when you're trying to solve complex problems. So I knew I couldn't do that alone. So I had to partner with people of the same mind. And we were talking about what, what else What else can we do in terms of prenatal classes, going virtual, inequity. You, you have to take into cognizance that women have not had that fair share of the resources that should have been to them. And it is because it's a male-dominated um, arena. Now we have more obstetrician gynecologists that are female, but not a lot of them are policymakers. Plus, now we're talking of teamwork to the extent that it's not just the doctors or the nurses or the healthcare work. The woman is part of the team, should be part of the team. And so it, when you create policies around what the doctor thinks or feels without listening to the woman, this is what you get. You get that in every system where they're just looking at you from the cultural perspective or this is what this person needs. I look at you and I just tell you this is what you need. I'm not listening to you. I've not heard you. I don't know what it is that you really need. So the system is now beginning to hear women and to say, or patients, not just women, patients, to create new policies or reform old ones to accommodate the voice of the patient. So that's where we are at now in the world of today. It's just unfortunate that COVID now brought in that dimension of slap on the face. You know, like, okay, now how much can you do? Prenatal classes used to be available. That was what would create community for some women. And then all of a sudden they can't do that. Um, and then prenatal classes, when I came, my first question was, people were paying for prenatal classes. Why? Smoking cessation, alcohol cessation. There were so many um, things going on that people didn't have to pay out of pocket. So my question was, this is a physiological process. Why should a woman pay to get to know not just things that will make her life and her baby's life better, but the system better? Because prenatal class is where you are told how the system works. And, and, and so just keeping that, a lot of women go to the hospital, they don't know how that system works. They don't know how different it is in a rural or, or, or an urban. They don't know what is the difference between delivering with a midwife or having a doula. And unfortunately, again, I find so many fragmented parts to this. A doula that is teaching about childbirth is not licensed to deliver a baby. So there's no way she will have the whole picture. Um, the obstetrician that, is, that, that has been trained only in dealing with abnormal pregnancies cannot have the whole picture. The midwife that has been trained to deal with only the normal pregnancies cannot have the whole picture. So what I see is the need for teamwork, which we can start to talk about by the time more, more voices come on board and say, we need team. We are not saying one particular group is better than the other, but if you want to deliver appropriate healthcare, talking about equity, diversity, inclusiveness, you have to make it teamwork. So that's where we are at. That's where I am at. That's where I'm saying I'll, I'll put a little bit of 
what I can do, go on social media. I, I never really liked social media in the first place, but I told myself, it's one of the things that I didn't like talking about sex. I had to start talking about it. Okay, so if I have to go on social media just to hear the voices of the women and see what it is we can do, um, yeah, I'll do that. Then another thing I think you can also try out is a lot of women um, have uh, Facebook groups where they actually join in and it's always, um, you have to kind of answer certain questions before you can join in. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've, I think I've joined a couple of them where yeah. it, it was nice for that particular community that I think they started the group from like mm -hmm. US, Houston mm -hmm. or whatever, but exactly. Yeah, so I, I and I know that some some smaller communities, like I have a friend in in Victoria, um, in BC, that said that that they have that small thing in their own community and what mm -hmm. they do that people even sell. Oh, my my child is um, going through, um, is not taking this um, formula. I've tried buying breast milk, so they even do that there. Which that was the first time I've ever even heard people actually donate breast milk. Yeah, um, yeah. to other people, I, I yeah, can't even yeah. imagine it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but yeah, I, yeah. I, another another question I think I wanted to ask was when it comes to women's health, a lot of women don't um kind of do a lot of tests, and I think that it's because we don't know. And, and I'm just being truthful, I don't think that I did. I knew about pap smear and so many other tests that just just normal every year you should do. Um, is it is it lack of education? Is it like we're not supposed to do certain tests, or are there certain things that we should know about our health before we get to the age of okay, this person is getting married, this person wants to start having kids, and all that? Yeah. Okay. So it's 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 all cultural. It's all you know. And what's culture? It's just the way a group of people do things. And so the way we've been wired back home, and I I remember back home, one of the diseases that was common was cancer of the cervix. In fact, it was so common and we, we had to learn so much about it that you would enter a clinic you, without talking to any woman, you knew somebody had cancer of the cervix. There was a particular smell to it. And most of the time it was the advanced. So at that point, uh, a lot of preventive you know, campaigns were going on. People should have pap smear. Still, people wouldn't. Even us medical doctors, I remember one, one of uh, my, my, I would call him my mom in the profession and a Christian who said, Kemi, have you ever had pap? I said, yes, I'm up to date. He said, you are the first female doctor I will ask that will say you are up to date. So that's, that's the way, it's just the stress and all the, of not, us not really finding out how to take care of our bodies that we just keep going until there's an illness then it's too late then you know just that just that culture so again it's coming back to the fact that god wants us to be healthy you know i ask myself you you want to talk about woman take care of your health why should i because god wants you to it's actually priority to god look at um second john i mean sorry third john third john um two I wish above all things that you will prosper and be in health, even as your soul prosper. He was not talking to men as in males. He's talking to all of us. God wishes that we prosper. And actually, I've preached many messages on that. The fact that prosperity is linked to health. Uh, look at it. Water is more expensive than pop. 
Why do you think that would be? Is it not water that they used to do pop? But water is more expensive. You need that's money. that's very true. I, I remember a friend of mine in Germany who said the same thing that beer is actually cheaper than water because it takes them more to get that clean water than beer. And I'm like, wow. That's that's the way the world is going wired now. So if, if God says, I wish above all that you would prosper and be in health, when it gives you money, what you should do is take care of your health first. I mean, it's, it makes so much sense. If Jesus came and said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you may have life, not just tiny little stingy life, life in abundance. Who has life in abundance when you are dealing with illnesses, third stage cancer of the cervix, when you could have done pap smear? Now it's even every three years. It's not every one year anymore. And, and what public health has also done to my brain Fortunately or unfortunately, I tend to look at those micro things that most clinicians would look at, but then on a bigger scale. So I get myself into trouble all the time trying to advocate for women. The fact that they deserve more than this. You don't. We, we, we should put a more robust system. If you want to include people, you have to go cultural. You have to find out how their language. You have to be able to bring them in and, and make them comfortable. The, the adolescents, the you know, immigrants, refugees, First Nation people. There are a lot of women who feel left out. And it's not just they feel left out. I have a patient who, anytime she comes into my office, she's going to have high blood pressure. Be yeah, because there's this, what we call white coat syndrome. They're just scared of the clinic. So that's, that's honestly, that's one of the things that motivated me. And when I found um, my friend, I don't know if she would want me, of course she would want me to, uh, Jennifer Jenga, who is the CEO of the Canada Home Care Group. We were that perfect match. We, I'm like, okay, you do the planning, I go with you. And we, what we are doing is bringing the, those care, the, the care that the woman would have had to go out to look for in the comfort of the home. And, and, and we just started. So that's why I said, um, well, we're just doing the little bit we can and hoping that this will gain, you know, momentum, other people will see the need. Because even with the COVID, we, me going into somebody's house, so this is my mentality. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother. I am not going to bring trouble to my home. I'm going to do everything to prevent myself from getting it. And, and of course, I'll pray too. I know God is looking out for me. But I washed my hands. I did everything extra. Before they started saying we must put on masks, I appeared like a stupid person putting on masks, going everywhere. I'm like, I deal with babies. I deal with pregnant women. I'm not going to be the one that will transmit this infection. And I know I can do the bit I can. So if I can do that, I can go into people's homes and teach them that. I can go there, take care of their health without exposing them unnecessarily. To, by coming out, you know, if I tell you stories, I've been to the house of a woman. She was, this was her number nine pregnancy. And I said, why? Do, do, don't you know about contraception? And the, the, eighth, the eighth baby wasn't even one year old yet. Don't you know about contraception? She went on to tell us the story of how hard she tried, but she didn't have access uh, to contraception. There was COVID, there was transport problem. Where was she going to leave her other six children? all that and all that. And finally she got pregnant again. And so women go through a lot until we started going out. We didn't hear those stories. Where would you hear that? 
So yeah, there's a lot out there. It's complex, it's big, but you know what? We can do one at a time, one day at a time. Yes, one like like this, and these stories have to be heard. And I think that a lot of times we kind of keep quiet so that because we feel like I think I don't want to share my stories so that they don't judge me. But sometimes you might actually be helping someone else out that is almost in that in that pit, if I would use that word. And yeah, which takes me to child care. I, and I noticed that because of the kind of community lifestyle we have coming from Nigeria, where once you give birth, your child is probably with one auntie's cousins, whatever, because you can go do stuff. But I see a lot of young moms right now struggling between their jobs, wanting to have their child, children in daycare and not the guilt of, can we talk about the guilt of exclusive breastfeeding? <laughs> <laughs> can I tell you my story about ex exclusive yes, breastfeeding? Ma. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Of course, you know, my daughters have babies. So I have a little bit of not just medical. So when I graduated, I had my first baby as an intern. Okay. And we have been taught in school, you have to exclusively breastfeed. So I'm looking at myself, I'm an, a house officer. My medical director then, when I told them, when they discovered, oh, this girl is pregnant. I was married. I married in my um, final year medical school. So, which was again, another strange thing. That, that wasn't common in those days. Anyway, so I'm pregnant as an intern and my medical director said, I've never seen a pregnant intern. And which means buckle up and do the stuff you need to do. So I had to work extra hard to make sure that I left a very good testimony. And at the end of it, um, the surgeon, I remember he said, he would, he usually would call me Kemi. He said, my pregnant Kemi is better than the non-pregnant males that are just, you know. <laughs> anyway. So when I, by the time I had my first baby, I was an intern, just finishing internship and going to youth service. And I'm supposed to be exclusively best breastfeeding. Uh, the, number one, I started making uh, a program that can work for me. I found out that there were some things that were taught generically. It's just generically. You have to take that and work with it within your own context. And one of them was bottle feeding was bad. The, the baby will get used to the bottle. So don't even put, when we were taught exclusive breastfeeding, we weren't allowed to put breast milk in bottles. It was cup and spoon. If you were gonna do that, it was cup and spoon so that the babies won't get used. So the first thing I did was, no, that's not for me. I am going to put in bottles. I, there's no way I can, because I'm going on call, I'm going away, I, I, I pump, I had milk like I could sell, actually. So <laughs> I put all that in the fridge. So walk around it. So what I want to tell anyone is don't go on any guilt trip. The things that are taught are generic. There is always, so when you're talking of statistics, you don't say 100%, like everybody has to do this. There are those who will fall at the extreme side of the curve, and it's still normal. So rather than go on guilt trips and all that, just find out how does this work for me? Okay, I want to breastfeed my baby. Is my milk enough? Do I have uh, hygienic ways of preserving the milk? Is somebody helping me take care of the baby? And I see a lot of struggles with my girls here. 
Childcare is expensive, so they want to stay with their children. At the same time, they want to earn money. At the same, you know. So what I encourage is each person has to have this thing of what I call personal research. You're going to take the generic. You're going to walk it through your life and see how it fits. Create a program for your, yourself in the best interest of you, your baby, your family, and how it works. And all nobody apologies for the decisions you've taken after your research. If people want to know, one of <laughs> I was so judged when I said I was only going to exclusively breastfeed my first baby. She was not the plumpy kind of baby. So it's like, oh my goodness, and you're a doctor, you and your husband, you are stingy, you can't even buy formula, this, that, 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 that. Even my own family, my own sister said, you know what, you guys, I don't know what you're doing. Is this what Christianity is about? Just because I said I want to exclusively with my baby. But the thing is, one of my sisters-in-law, one another woman who had married into my family, after listening to my story, she told herself, I can do this. Down the line, I was now the ex example in our extended family because it was both my mother and my mother-in-law and my sister and my sisters-in-law all were mocking and, and, you know, judging and whatever. I had to go through all that. At the end of it, they would be the ones saying, go and learn how to do it. That's a doctor. She does call. She does this. And she did it because I exclusively breastfed my babies, all of them, for over a year each um, in terms of not adding formula fees. So you have to learn. There's so much to learn. And that's why I believe God gives us only, you know, the small portions of things to learn for ourselves. It's only if you want to take on the whole world that we get into trouble. <laughs> I, I, and, and getting into trouble will, will counter, will counterproductive to that living in, in good health. Because you get stressed and stress gives a lot of problems. Yes. So talking about rest, and I know as busy as you are, you still try to take time to rest. So without feeling that guilt, because I know a lot of people that, it's really women, we don't, I'll use the word pamper ourselves. We don't take time out. We always, we're always in the go, 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 go. Even when you are in one goal, another goal is trying to come into your head. And I think about it, I'm like, how do we actually consciously just take time to rest, to unplug from everything that's been going on without feeling that guilt of, am I a good mom? Um, I remember one day, I think I asked myself that because, so my baby is going to be eight months, eight months next week, and she doesn't still want anything but breast milk. And I felt so bad. I felt like, am I doing everything wrong? Every, I see these babies, they are eating this, they are eating that. Why not try? And I will try everything. Oh, you know what? Maybe you are not mixing it with. And I tried it and I told myself one day, I'm like, well, she's growing. Like, I see her long legs. I see her face looking fresh. If this breastfeeding is what's working for her, let me just calm down. And, and for me, it stressed me out. But I didn't want anybody to understand it was stressing me out because I felt like, oh, you know what? It's, it's just food, right? It's nothing much. But me trying to internalize it, I see a lot of people with stress is written on their face where they don't even have time to like unplug themselves from whatever go, go, go they have to do. So how can we just taking the part of your health is important. This is why you have to prosper also in your health. But in taking care of oneself, how can we go around it without feeling guilty of being the bad mom in court. 
Um, honest, I don't. I, okay, let me say it this way. My daughter has asked me one time, why are you so confident? You, you, you appear to be like, ah, you are on top of this all the time. I said, I've learned. And because I started out being that shy person who won't say a word. I won't say a word. But I found I was going to be dead if I didn't change. Uh, and so it was deliberate. So rest for me now is deliberate. It is deliberate. I, I have a lot of friends who are speakers, pastors, wives, and all that. And one of them, I tried to call her on a Saturday. She didn't pick. She called me back on Monday. She said, that's my Sabbath. I said, what do you mean? She said, I don't answer phone calls. It's as simple as that. And so there's a day of the week. Now she's changed because she's a nurse. And because of COVID, they are working extra hard. She's a public health nurse. They, they are insisting she has to work on Saturday. So her Sabbath has changed to Monday. So get a day of the week where you don't pick calls at all, except for somebody who, is, who can be on call like me. And if I'm not on call, I'm, I don't have to pick calls. That's number one stressor. And because now you are feeding yourself with so much information just by picking calls, uh, looking at the internet, uh, you know, all that. Have one day of the week that you take a break. Even if it's half the day that you can afford to start with. Start with somewhere and then go on. That's one. Two. Not a lot of us are used to going on holidays. I remember when I first came up, people were like, you will break down. I said, no, I've done so much more than this. I've been paid so much less than this. So now let me do what I need to do. There are so many women who need my help, who need my help. So when I broke down, I knew that was real. Okay. So I've learned. I learned the hard way. We don't have to learn the hard way. Be deliberate about the holiday. The, the last thing I want to talk about on that is that I'm looking at a program for new moms where I will personally pamper them, which was what I did for my daughter. I, with her third baby, she said, mom, and I didn't know she needed it, right? I thought, oh, African woman, you should be able to, you know? But she kept saying, I need you. I'm like, you don't need me. You have other people around you. But I, there's a way I can pamper a woman after birth. As an African woman, gone through this myself with massage, with the kind of food, with the, you know, I told her husband, go home, go take care of the other two. Leave this one for me for the next one. When I got, when we got back home, I also said, you didn't, what happened to you? You don't even look like you just had a baby. <laughs> so yes, we're kind of trying to create a, a program, postpartum, where the first week after a woman delivers, we just spoil you to bits. And it's coming. So look out for that. <laughs> so y'all, for those that, that want to get into this program, make sure that you 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 sign up early so that um you get the package but i think it's like you said it's very important that um so okay so let, let me let me think about this okay, so when it okay. comes to you've done the exclusive and this this question is for me so okay. y'all don't judge me i have to ask that my question question <laughs> so i've done the exclusive for six months yeah this is going to eight months and she's still very picky she still wants to eat she would she would see the old food she'll pick what she wants to pick and that's the end she doesn't want anything else 90 percent of what she still wants is breast milk should i still feel bad that she's not eating anything else that much if i use that word it wasn't i mean the truth is this is not your fault if you could change that you would so the fact that it's not your fault should not make you feel bad she's just one of the ch children that will need more time to get used to picking what she wants and the other thing is give her more frequently what she wants uh what she picks 
give her more of it, you know. It's a journey. There's no textbook answer for these things. No one, even people who've had 12 children, they will tell you every child is different. And so this is one child, your second child, the, my second girl came, same breastfeed, same thing. She was so plumpy. When the first one was like, she was healthy, but she was just not plumpy. You understand? So yeah, children are different. Each pregnancy is different. You need to learn to forgive yourself for the sin you did not commit. Was it your, 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 you know, it wasn't you. This is the way it's not me. Oh. I, and even the one she picks, it's like a mood thing. She will take apples today, she will eat it. Next week, she doesn't want apples. She will take avocado. And, and, yes, yes. That is so, and, and don't feel bad because when you feel bad, you're stressed out. We've had to go visit moms at home who are like, am I doing something wrong? And then they go into postpartum depression again. For what? You know, <laughs> you are not. You're a good mom. Your judgment is with God who knows your heart. It's not with people. And you're doing your best. The other thing that I would say is learn, you know, learn, go, you know, attend conferences, look at stuff, you know, just give yourself that opportunity to be open-minded and say, okay, if the child is not doing this, maybe this. I brought in a toddler when we came to, not toddler, she wasn't a toddler, she was two years old when we came to Canada. And I, you know, by that time we had started working and I woke up and I said, what do you want to eat? Avala and Neweju. I said, for where? <laughs> Don't even try that one here. It loves life. Oh my God. I want some Amala and Ewedu. Oh. First thing in the morning for that matter. So oh you see, God. the children are different. My four children were different. The grandchildren are different. So learn to know that every child is wired differently we're only learning to know them we didn't create them they are products of our genetics but creation is with god and so we learn to know them learn to know what makes them thrive and grow and all that and do the best we can that's what we can do as parents you can't recreate a child so before I ask my final question, I wanted to touch on this, which you touched on a couple of minutes ago, um, which was on, I would say kind of balance in the sense of you being a pastor, you being a mentor and author. And I see a lot of people, oh, my pastor, my pastor, and everybody wants a, a piece of the pastor. And you see that the pastor is stressed, but doesn't want people to feel a certain way. So. How do you balance that particular part of your life? Because I know that a lot of people want to like talk to you. And like you said, you have that one day or half a day or let's say three hours, you shut yourself out. But realistically, when you are hands-on in an organization like the church, um, how do you kind of balance it as a pastor's wife? Um, I'll say that it depends a lot on the grace of God. So what grace does for me is give me the ability to be productive when I should be, and also go the extra mile. And, and when there's a lot of work, you see, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And the grace, what, what does it do? It gives you that extra energy to deal with the sin and not be a sinner. Okay, so if it's work that God, so anything that is wired, that is spiritual, carries grace with it. So the thing is, you would just have that extra energy, extra thing that can make you do more than the usual. 
Can I put it that way? So that it's not like we're all now trying to, I'm now the, the goal. Everybody's trying to be like me. You can't be like me because I'm, I'm wired. I have a gifting that is specific and I have grace to carry it out. So we need to realize that we, do, we stop comparing ourselves with ourselves. As a pastor's wife, I had to tell people when they said, you have to do this. I said, why? Because you are pastor's wife. I said, there's nowhere in the Bible that says so. Can you show me? Oh, I know, but usually this is what we do. I said, no, I, I find out if I was going to follow culture, I'll be dead. So the only way I've kept alive is sticking to the word of God. If you can show me in the Bible, I'll do it. So there's nowhere in the Bible that says I have to be there for everybody. It's only Jesus that can be there for everybody. It's only God that can be there for everybody. And I believe that the assignment, as of course, sometimes you say no and you get home and God will be like, no, that was not a good no. Go back and fix that. And then you go back and say, can I fix it? Okay, I'm coming. <laughs> you, you, you know, God doesn't kill you for every mistake you make. We all make mistakes. You pick, choose. Uh, maybe I didn't do that well. Yesterday didn't work out well. Can I have a rerun? You know, there are conversations I've had with my husband or my children or people around me. What I meant to say, they got something different. So I go back and say, can we have a rerun of that? This is what I really meant to say. I don't know if you, meant, you had it differently. So I believe that's how I, I, I try to stick to the word of God. And in all my books, Family Matters, those are the things. It's what did the Bible say as against what does the culture say? Mm. Thank you very much. Man. I think that's very key. And don't stress yourself. Understand what works for you part time. So if what you have to do is the first three days of the week, you attend to church stuff, sit down with that church stuff. But once it's Thursday, church stuff is on a break for now and you attend to yourself. And I think that sometimes we have to actually tell ourselves to take care of ourselves so that um, we don't, like you said, there's no need for that judgment just take care of you, just enjoy yourself. So before you go, because we have two minutes to the end of the show, I just wanted you to say your final words to every woman out there who is going through one form of stress or the other, or doesn't understand what it means to take care of their health. What will be your final words to them? My final word to you is that you need to start to learn. You don't have to know everything one day. Be open-minded, start to learn, ask questions. Why? Because God wants you to. It's all over the word of God. God wants you to. Number two, you are more productive when you are healthy. You are more productive. You can take care of those things you want to take care of and you're stressed already. You will be able to take care of those things better if you're not stressed. So at the end of the day, it's wisdom for us to focus on our health and get things right. And then we do the things we do better and live better lives, enjoying it all the way. Thank you very much. We, we cannot let you go without you praying for us. And I would just want you to also to um, whatever it is that God is leading for you to pray, to pray for every woman out there who is going through any form of loss, whether um, loss as per parent or child or marriage or whatever it is, or have one form of ailment in their bodies. Lord, we thank you because you're the healer and is your word we stand on. I just pray for People out there, I don't know what categories they fall, but you know. And Lord, I just ask that you reach out to them and let your grace avail. Let your healing touch be upon people who are sick. Let there be Amen. wisdom in life. In Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. 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 
thank you very much and we are super excited yes this was very insightful um i i i had a blast i had so much fun and <laughs> i learned a lot and for me it's just to go back to the drawing board and create a schedule that has to work for uh, myself and take that time out if it's three hours in a week or six hours in a week make sure that that particular day is just for me and pamper myself but thank you very much everyone make sure that you go follow the um instagram page it is florence women's clinic um, we, um if you look at the our instagram story you will see that we've tagged them for a couple of posts so please make sure that you go on instagram and follow florence women's care so women's is o w o n m e n s so that you don't put women so it's all one word make sure that you go follow that page and if you are a mom out there or your or your mom to be or your soon to be mom make sure that you watch out on that page different tips and tricks and lessons and uh whatever it is that you would need to actually be a better mom and also be a part of the new postpartum care or well wellness package um the that clinic will be rolling out um but Let's say a big thank you to Dr. Mrs. Flores Kemi Akindele. We are super grateful, Ma, for uh, being on the show today. I will pray that God continually to be your strength. And we pray that every idea that you, you have, um, God will make sure that his blessings and his, more blessings be upon it so that to reach more people. And uh, like you said, women need more women need more care and we need to also um support one another so that when someone is going through something don't apply that generic thing make take the generic idea and see how it works for you thank you very much ma god bless you, you ma have a blessed week ma yeah bye, bye everyone bye.